Well, good morning. I invite you today to look to Isaiah 61, those words that the walkers read for us this morning. Isaiah 61 is where we're going to be. And as you turn there, things are changing. The color, if you notice, of the Advent candle that Pastor Mary lighted today has shifted from purple to pink, for those of you who can tell those colors. And in the midst of Advent, we are called to shift as well. We are called today on this Sunday, on Gaudete Sunday, which is the Latin word for rejoice, we are called to shift to joy. Now last week, I referred to the four Advent aspirations, hope, peace, joy, and love. They are the given themes of the Advent Sundays that we find ourselves in, and we said that we may encounter the most tension in all of those when we think about peace in the midst of a world that's rife with strife. But these are not only aspirations, really. They are also spiritual disciplines. They are spiritual practices that require our intentional embrace and our grace-filled determination and a holy imagination to lean into each one. Peace, thinking about peace in a world like ours, is, is difficult. But you know, joy is in some ways hard to imagine too. For it is the very truth that among us this morning, among all of us this morning, are those mentioned in our reading that are drawn from Isaiah 61 today. The poor. Let's just stop there for a moment. The poor are the poor, those lacking resources that you and I might take for granted. But it's also the poor who are poor in soul. The poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, those in darkness, the prisoners, the mourning, those with a spirit of despair. And so for some, joy is hard to imagine. I think that's one of the reasons why, for my birthday this year, Kathleen gave me this unique gift. She gave me three 18 to 20 inch letters that spell J-O-Y. And what she did really, she actually gave me the gift of a project. She has a habit of giving me gifts of projects on occasion. So she gave me the gift of a project for me to build a sign to place on our porch that would light up for our neighbors to see. In hoping, as you may recall, Pastor Jim Ennis last month talked about his neighbor having a lighted sign that said joy in front of their house. She and I thought maybe we put the sign of joy up on our porch so that when our neighbors would see it, perhaps in this strange and difficult time, it would be a place of encouragement as they drove by. But the truth is, joy is the one Advent discipline that I must lean into more intentionally. And if we can be honest, it sometimes is the hardest to lean into. 
So I confess to you today that the sign on the porch is really not for our neighbors. It's for every time I take that right turn into my driveway and I see it shining. It's for me to be reminded to pick up joy. It's for me to be reminded to choose joy. Because out of the array of responses to a world that seems like it's gone crazy, out of the array of the responses to the challenge of personal sorrow and, and, and frustration, I need to pick joy. I can pick anger. I can pick despair. I can pick cynicism. But I sense the Spirit's tug on my heart saying, Jeff, pick joy. What are you going to pick? What are you going to pick? J.D. Walt wrote these words recently. It's time to train our eyes to see the heavenly vision, to hone our sight on the horizon, to learn to behold the glorious state of the future. In order to do this, we must rid ourselves of the soul's cancer, cynicism. So where does that begin? Well, it is called the Imagination Station. My three adult children today can recall in great detail the creation, this creation, this part of the old radio series, Adventures in Odyssey, which still exists online, which began when they were children. Actually, when they were children, and we were living in Colorado. The central characters of, of Adventures in Odyssey, Mr. Whitaker and Connie and Jimmy and Digger Digwillow, they became staples in our home, and especially on long drives. It was a great thing for a dad to say, okay, we're going to listen now, let's press play. And it would have their attention. Those characters lived in the fictitious town called Odyssey, but what, what created the greatest anticipation in the listening to the stories was Mr. Whitaker's imagination station. With the power of their imaginations, they would enter into that device and they would be transformed and transported to old and new worlds. And there they would discover lessons about God that formed and shaped their lives, helping them make sense of how faith worked in their real world of good times and disappointments, of family crises and treasured relationships, and even lessons of life and the meaning of death. I want to invite you today to enter with me into an imagination station. Enter with me the same way that Isaiah in Isaiah 61 invited the 6th century B.C. refugees of the Babylonian captivity to do the same as well. Because the reality is as Isaiah is speaking these words of Isaiah 61, as these are being communicated, they're staring again at the rubble. Remember? O oh, holy and glorious temple where our ancestors praised you. It has been burned with fire and all that we treasured lies in ruins. That's the context. 
You see, once the Persian king Cyrus granted freedom to these captives to go home, they wanted nothing more than to return to normal. We've heard that, haven't we? When are we going to return to normal? And that's what they wanted. But everything they expected a return to normal to be was anything but what they faced. As they looked at their world, there had to be some that were captive to a growing pessimism. There were some that had to be captive to a world of doubts and discouragements. There were some, I'm sure, that were shackled by cynicism. Remember there, the poor, the brokenhearted, the in darkness, the prisoners, the mourning, those with the spirit of despair. But here's the prophet Isaiah. He's, he's in the rubble with them and he sees the rubble around them and, and the prophet knows what they need. They needed to imagine a different future. In fact, they needed to have a different view of what they were looking at. They needed to look at that rubble with a different view. As we venture towards a future that no longer holds the normal that we expect, we need the same. And my friends, it would be a great mistake if we try to reproduce the normal of Advent 2019 and Advent 2020, though we're going to be so tempted to do so, or the normal moving forward, trying to reproduce something from another day. But what if we looked at the rubble and saw something different? Whatever the rubble is to you, whatever it is to me, what if we looked at it and we saw something different. Like these ancient refugees, we need to enter into the imagination station, if you will. Not an escape from reality. Not some pie-in-the-sky idealism. Not a minimizing of the hard things. In fact, we need to stare directly at the hard things. And there, what if... We leaned into the spiritual discipline of joy. Maybe you remember another story about rubble and brokenness. Maybe you remember the story, the ancient story of the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem. We are told that in that process, the people of God discovered the scriptures that had been long forgotten. They began to read them, and as they read them, they realized that the world they lived in and the world they created was not the way it was intended to be. They saw their own lives, and they realized their own lives were not the way they were intended to be. And when they came upon this realization of what was not, it crushed them. It crushed them to tears, and it caused them to lament the state of affairs. We find that in the book of Nehemiah. And in the middle of their lamenting, in the middle of their recognition of what it was not, Nehemiah says, do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
Now let's understand something. The people needed to lament the state of their world. And they needed to lament the state of their hearts. They needed to see how things were so far from what they ought to be. And one of the things that Advent does for us, one of the purposes of Advent among us, is to come face to face with how the world and how we ourselves may not be what we ought to be. The world is definitely not what it ought to be, and often we're not what we ought to be. But we also need to guard our hearts in that. Because you see, when lament goes too far, and when lament turns toxic, it becomes cynicism. So what do we do to avoid that? Well, being honest. Well, lament tethered to hope leads to faith and enduring and persevering strength and a willingness even to sit with others who are mourning and broken and be vessels of grace. As others have said, lament is the pathway to hope. But we also learn this. The spiritual discipline that gets me from lament to hope is joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And this discipline of joy is nurtured by the holy imagination of what the future reality with Jesus will be like. In fact, if you want to be a true realist... This is an invitation to the truest realism of all. That's what Isaiah 61 is. The reality that these words focus on and are so worth hearing again. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. That is the word of the Lord for us. Thanks be to God. You see, there is one, one, who has a message for us. A message we can be inspired by, a message that can we, be cha- we can be changed by, a message that brings hope. For the wayward, captive children of Israel, this was a fresh breath of air. And it is for us as well. But here's the question. Is it real? Is this real? As we said, this was not the current reality for them. They were standing in the rubble. And in many ways, this is not the current reality for you and me. But as we know, Jesus Christ stood and he claimed these words from Isaiah 61 as the defining nature of his whole reason for coming. 
He, he finished reading the very words I just read to you. He, he rolled up the scroll and he then said this, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus just said this, He has sent me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he said this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, to understand what is happening here, we need to go backwards in time. We, we need to go to the book of Leviticus. Who would have thought we would have ended up in Leviticus this morning? But in Leviticus chapter 25, there we find instruction was given that every 50 years would be a year of jubilee, a year of this phenomenal explosion of joy and freedom. And what would happen every 50 years is this. They were instructed that every slave would be set free that people would be allowed to reclaim their generational homes, that every debt would be wiped clean, that land would be returned to the former owners. And in essence, what would happen is the entire nation of the people of God would be required to press a giant reset button and start all over. But the reset button... The reset button was never pressed. There's no place in recorded history that the year of Jubilee was actually celebrated. And no one would have had the audacity to even suggest that it had been. That is, until Jesus came and said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You see, Isaiah is speaking of a divine reset. And Jesus is letting us know that he is our divine reset. He's the reset button. This morning in our devotional that we're looking through, let earth receive her king, Scott Daniels writes these words. Ironically, through the eyes of the prophet, the rubble of Jerusalem is not a cause for despair, but a source of great joy. It is the wiping clean of the past and the opportunity with God's help to begin anew. What if we could all see 2020 as a wiping clean, a stripping away of all that we have clung to that gets in the way of God doing something new? What if we could imagine what it could be like if we pressed the reset button and by faith, we imagine something new for our lives. What if, what if, where do you need to press the reset button? What if right now is your chance? No more excuses. 
What if right now is your chance, is my chance to press the reset button? What if you could press a reset button right now? Perhaps today you feel brokenhearted or you feel captive or you feel oppressed. Oh, we probably can't see that on the outside, but there it is. It's as real as rubble. The depth of maybe who you are. Or, or maybe you feel totally unseen in your despair and your hurt. Or your sin. And you know it's time to press the reset button and to move beyond your past. Or, or maybe to change your present. You see, when I read this, this tells me, it tells you that God sees us and God cares and that in Jesus Christ, God has come to engage us with his grace in the broken places. So where do you need to press the reset button? Here's what the invitation sounds like. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Words of Jesus. His invitation. And what if we leaned into the great hope of Advent, of the anticipation that Jesus will rebuild what has been ruined by sin, that Jesus will restore what has been long devastated by brokenness and injustice and violence and hate, and that Jesus will renew mankind as people made in his image that have been devastated for generations, that he will press a reset button. Could we imagine that not only will he, but he will now? You see, it is that sanctified imagination that's rooted in the reality of what Jesus has come to do that can give us reason to practice the spiritual discipline of joy, of rejoicing, which will find our way to hope even as we lament what is not. We can imagine what can be ours and what can be the world's in Jesus. We must imagine that. J.D. Walk goes on and he says this, the return of the Lord, the coming of the Lord, means no more child slavery, no more sex trade, no more cancer, no more drug addiction, no more tears, no more terrorism, no more war, no more starvation, no more wheelchairs. The sheen of newness everywhere, the contagion of gladness spreading, filling the earth as the waters cover the sea. Imagine the ways in which God will make all things right. And as we do that, we train our minds and we train our hearts to recognize what he is making right now. Starting with our own relationship and hearts and lives with him. And so we practice joy as grace received. Joy as grace given. Joy as God making things right now. In verse 10 of Isaiah, we read these words, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. Delight. 
It's not just about happy feelings, great circumstances. In fact, it's not that at all. It's deeper than that. It, 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 it's the light that can stand in the rubble and rejoice in God. So where can you choose delight? Where can you choose to delight greatly in God right now? But then as C.S. Lewis said, we are mirrors whose brightness is derived from the sun that shines upon it. We are reflectors. As he shines his light of grace upon us, as we allow his grace to impact our lives, we become reflectors. And so not only is this joy as grace received, what we practice joy as witness to our world of what God has done for us. Read Isaiah 61 carefully. Read it carefully. And what you find is God's grand plan for redemptive witness to the world. It says this, They will be called oaks of righteousness, in verse 4. A planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Notice three times, they, they will, they will, they will. Who are they who will do this marvelous work, this beautiful extension of restoration and hope? Who are the ones who point to this great joy we have in the future God has for us? Well, when you read Isaiah 61, you discover it will be the poor who have received good news. It will be the brokenhearted whose wounded hearts have been healed. It will be the captives who have discovered new freedom. It will be the prisoners who have been released from darkness. It will be the mourning who have found comfort in their grief. Those who have been the greatest recipients of the redemptive grace of God will be the rebuilders. They are the beauty makers. They are the joy distributors. They are us. That's us. And if, and if it's not us, who's it going to be? It's not going to be the politicians. It's not going to be the media. It's not going to be those who want to just do nothing but tear down. Who's it going to be? It's going to be us. It's going to be us who are a distinct people. That's what the scripture says, that we are distinct in the world when we replicate God's purpose and redemption in the world. Verse 9 says, All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. Who are these people blessed of the Lord? The people who share God's desire for justice, his heart for restoration, his hunger of salvation that brings true hope and peace and joy and love to the world through Jesus Christ. Look around us. What do you see? We do indeed see a great deal of rubble. 
We do not need to strain to see oppression and poverty and abuse and discouragement and despair. In fact, in some ways, nothing has brought the reality of mankind's brokenness more into focus than the events of this year. But this is what we also must see. That is the very place where the witness of our joy over who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us must shine the brightest. They now have become classic words from Frederick Beekner. But he wrote this. The kind of work God usually calls you to is the kind of work that you need most to do and that the world most needs to have done. Then he says this. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Where your deep joy, where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. The oppressed are crying out in our world. The broken in body and soul and spirit need healing. The marginalized and the minimized are being lost in the shadows. The strength of our joy calls us to do something about it. So this is where this imagination station takes us to. How do I become joy to the world showing that the Lord has come? How does the earth receive her king through me? How will my deep gladness, how will your deep gladness meet the world's deep hunger and bring the radical joy found in the redemption Jesus has for us and for all of us? So how do I proclaim the Lord's favor, comfort all who mourn, provide for those who grieve in Zion, bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Advent speaks about God's arrival. O come, O come, Emmanuel, we sing. But you see, now we must step out of the imagination station and we must ask ourselves, how is the arrival of God trying to come into my life right now? Where do you need to press the reset button? Where is it that joy needs to be rediscovered? How is the arrival of God come into my life right now? How is the advent of God, the coming of God, trying to come into my world right now? And what do I need to do to be ready for him to come now? My friends, if God can give joy to each of us, joy can be had for all of us. A joy where justice and deliverance and liberty of soul and salvation of life is for any and for all. And that is the universal desire of God for any and for all. And that, my friends, is the joy of it all. That's the joy of it all. Joy to the world 
The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare to make room. Amen. Our instrumentalists are going to come and play that song right now. And as they do, I invite you today to imagine where in your life you can press the reset button. Maybe there's something from your past that continues to pull you down. Maybe there's some sin in your life that hinders you. Maybe, maybe now's the day, now's the time, this is the year to really turn to the God who's come to you and trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Maybe now's the time to reset the button of the way you're seeing people. Maybe some relationships in your life. Maybe now's the time for you to reset the button the way you're looking at the world. The way I'm looking at the world. And to start by delighting in God in the middle of the rubble. Not apart from it. And there, my friends, we find the joy in it all. Following the benediction, our ushers will come and they'll dismiss you from the back out. We invite you just to go right away to your car. I'll be out in the parking lot. Say hello as you're going by. But I pray today that the joy of the Lord will be your strength. So may we go as those who have been great recipients of God's grace. And may we go and practice the witness of joy to our world that brings grace wherever we find ourselves, whomever we encounter, and in whatever we see. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Thanks be to God. Amen.